0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network.
1: Welcome everyone to, I guess, not another webinar. It's to the first webinar on scan tools. And when we were talking about doing this, I had to make sure to bring in some ringers. So I couldn't find any. I decided to bring in Rich (laughs) Febikatov. No, I brought in some real heavy hitters. You guys are really, really lucky. Come on. <laughs> so, yes, I brought in Tanner Brandt of Autodiag Clinic, basically doing a lot of mobile and consulting. I also have Keith Perkins of L1 Training and Programming. He does got a brick and mortar shop. He's got mobile diagnostics going on. He also does training, obviously, but not only on his website, L1Training.com, but also in-house periodically, if you follow him on Facebook, you will see him put up schedules that you can go down to his shop and get some very high quality training. And then bringing up the rear last, but certainly not least, Rich Falco, CTI training. he has been doing that for quite a while. And really kudos to him. Also, he does mobile diagnostics because the best way to keep your finger on the pulse is literally to keep doing this. So thank you gentlemen for joining me. Thanks for having time. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And I thought since the title is scan tools that we'd talk about scopes just All to right, change then it. and I really
0: right. have to go yeah. now. Oh, <laughs> I think I'm contractually obligated to leave when
1: you say scopes. <laughs> Napa Autotech offers three hour virtual technical classes that can be accessed from the comfort of your home. To find out what courses are available, go to NapaAutoTech.com and click on the Napa Autotech class calendar link. I guess it's really hard to start a A conversation or even a presentation or webinar on such a subject without going after by far the most common question any of us ever get asked anywhere whether we're presenting a class on virtually any topic so I've done a fair number of scope classes and still the number one question is what's the best scan tool and I just kind of thought how yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's either like yes (laughs) or all of them or depends Mm -hmm. and I guess I thought I would also get your guys' opinions on that. So Tanner. So I would say it depends on what
0: you're trying to do. All of them is technically the correct answer at this point. We had somebody reach out to a map right before the show that brought up a good point about different types of scan tools and what you're trying to do with it, whether you're trying to graph or are you trying to do some type of relearn, do some type of coding, something like that. And there's tools that excel Really good at graphing and how they display graphing. And then also basically the, I guess, rate or how many samples per second the tool can take. And that changes the way your graph looks and what you're able to see when graphing a tool with a really, really high sample rate. Your graph is going to uh, have more clarity to what you're seeing. So if, I guess quick, simple, easy way to think about it is if. It takes a snapshot every three seconds, let's say, a long time. So one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. If something happens in that window and it's only taking it every three seconds, you're going to miss what's happened between those three seconds. So hand tools that take a really, really, really fast sample rate that are like every 10 milliseconds, let's say, or something like that you have more clarity in your graphing. So tools like that are good for drivability diagnostics. When you're doing graph merge, you're looking at oxygen sensors, mass airflow, map sensors, stuff like that. But those tools may not be good when it comes to having all of the data PIDs. So I think here in a little bit, I'm going to go over and show you some different things that I've ran into as far as needing scan tool PIDs like in HVAC modules, in BCM PIDs and things like that. And sometimes tools that are good at graphing are missing PIDs in other modules and don't have the ability to do coding or are missing misfire neutral profile learns or can't do solenoid strategy on a Ford transmission or things like that. So, correct answer is all
1: the scan tools. Yeah, Keith, uh, what's your favorite answer? Oh man, all of those answers I,
0: I agree with. I it always it always comes back to first I say yes or all of them. And then it's what are you doing, right? Or what do you see? Because I, I've been known to bash a red tool here and there, (laughs) Snap-on here and there. But legitimately, what are you doing and and what do you work on day-to-day? Because that tool gets a bad rap from me because I typically, and with like Tanner and Rich, when we're doing mobile Diag and programming, a lot of the times we're showing up because we have the tool that has the button, which is the tool that they don't have. And almost every shop has a Snap-on. You can walk onto a tool truck for 25 bucks a week. For 697 weeks, you can have a tool. So... It's easy to get, and it does 100% of what you need it to do 90% of the time, if you want to look at it that way. Or if you want to say it does 90% of everything that would walk in your door, it realistically would. So because of that, I don't often have that tool. We have two within our network, and I found someone who likes both of them and gave them to them and said, don't ever let me see this again, but I'm paying for it every month. <laughs> it's up to date. <laughs> it's kept up to date. Please don't put this back in my building. And then we carry on with our day, but there's nothing wrong with that tool. It does a great job for what it's designed for. It's not designed to hook up to a Volkswagen and do SVM coding. It's just not. So it does exactly what it's supposed to do. So again, what are you working on? What are you supposed to be doing? Are you doing a diagnosis? Are you trying to hit the special button? Is is there a button you have to press to finish this job? And if so, then my answer is different depending upon what the vehicle is. I mean, we walked all around the shop today, hooking stuff to this stupid NPR we have at the shop that somebody hooked the battery up backwards on just trying to, what talks to most of the things on, is it a communication problem or is it a a scan tool problem? Right. So yeah, my answer is always yes, all of them. And then it depends. What are you doing?
1: Yeah. Especially when you want to see data update rates. Usually we're talking drivability. I mean, that's really when we care about that is drivability. And then you get outside of the just diagnostics ends of things where you started to get into more of the calibrations and initialization type stuff. It can start, it can get weak fast compared to the other offerings out there, and there's many. It'd be hard to start rattling them all off, but yeah, the the one we're all familiar with, right?
0: I think one of the things that's happened is thinking back to the question that we were you know, asked earlier. It used to be you were looking at scan tool stuff for engine drivability, or you were graphing wheel speed sensors or something because you had a PCM and an ABS module, and maybe a GEM module and possibly a bcm that really didn't do anything and that was it now like i'm going to show again here a little bit the amount of PIDs that you're looking at that have absolutely nothing to do with drivability that have to do with ac systems turning on or the car has a parasitic draw and a steering wheel button is pushed down and that's causing your draw and that's in a bcm data list like the amount of modules that that are in the vehicle that you're having to use scan data for now that have nothing to do with drivability at this point. And even like for me, obviously graphing was always something. It still is something that I like doing. And when I teach the turbo class, I go over, you know, looking at different PIDs to use that you're going to do during a drivability test. But so much of what I see in the day to day now is. People calling me because the car has some problem. Maybe that's an ABS problem, an air conditioning problem, could be an ADOS problem. The radar sensor has codes in it. I had one the other day, a Chevy Suburban, that was a no-star and the dash was completely out and it had been hit in the right rear. And the object detection sensor had fallen down on the exhaust and melted the object detection sensor and the entire harness there. So I was... In it, looking to see what could I communicate to on the scan tool and what could I not. So, so much of, I guess, what I see and what all of us are seeing now is outside of the normal drivability stuff. And it's more into electrical, electronic, climate control systems, comfort systems, you name it, stuff like that.
1: And then Richard, what's your favorite way
0: to approach that? My answer to that question is it almost doesn't matter because at least in my experience, no matter what scan tool is bought, at least... All right, I don't want to sound like I'm bad-mouthing. A gross number of scan tools are bought and used as code readers. And guys are grossly underutilizing the sheer volume of information available on the scan tool, regardless of what name is on the outside of that tool. And I really, that whatever one you like, and if you're in love with Snap-on or Top-on or Autel or whatever and great. Use it. And as I say in my classes, you got to get good with your scan tool. You got to take it out and play with it as much as possible, the scan tool. So it really doesn't matter. Yes, what car you're hooking up to matters. What you're trying to do matters. But it has been my experience. And at least with the classes I've been teaching lately for CTI, it's been a lot of entry level guys. It's guys with a couple of months to a couple of years of experience. And it doesn't matter the subject that we're talking about. If you're in my class, I'm going to bring up scan tools and brakes, alignment, air conditioning. I will bring up a scan tool and I will ask these guys in my class, how many of you have used the scan tool? And it's usually less than 10%. If there's 10 guys in my class, I'm lucky if one or two raises their hand. And my next question is, all right, how many guys have replaced the battery? And of course, everybody raises their hand. They're the general service guy. They're the C-tech. And I go, Every Ford since 2010 needs a battery monitoring reset after replace a battery. And suddenly all the eyes get real big. And I'm like, if you guys thought are, that was only
1: Volkswagen or
0: BMW, BMW. Exactly. You get that. Oh yeah. Yeah. On BMWs, no Fords for 14 years now. And it
1: amazes me how many texts aren't even using the, the basic features of the scan tool. So well, I, in that case, not even looking up service information. Cause yeah. I think- The big issue is we have it in our heads. We have some mundane tasks replacing the battery, changing a fluid of some sort, putting brakes into a a service mode or not putting them into a service mode and then doing that Mm -hmm. all in was not used to looking up in service info is now something very important to be looking up in service information.
0: We've literally created a GM EBCM shortage because people weren't reading service information. That's (laughs) the crazy thing to think about that. I just did one today in an Equinox. I programmed one and I was talking to the guy and people were asking him, why is there no EBCMs? And literally most of the EBCMs were smoked because of not looking at service information. Now there's a service bulletin out there, but they had to make a service bulletin explaining that, make sure that the reservoir is not full or you retract the rear calipers. So like we literally created a shortage of a part from not following service procedures. I always share that Toyota or Lexus TSB that if you disconnect the battery within six minutes of shutting the car off, you could brick the navigation screen. And I see a lot, again, a lot of new g- general service techs. Their eyes get really big like, what? Yeah, even battery replacement. We need to look up more than just where is the battery. That's like daily occurrence in BMW, guys. I was going to say, I got a stack of FRMs at the shop that are just waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to grab a couple of the starred comments because while well, somebody brought, asked something and then somebody brought something up that I'm going to forget if I don't go through this. So somebody asked about has top down and others lost their ability to be listed on auto auth. Seems like I've heard this recently. I have not. And I know I have autels listed on auto auth and I know people that have top downs listed on auto auth. So as far as I know, that is not the case.
1: I did a Chrysler today with a top down. No issue. Uh, I was going to say, I did Autel and a Top Don today.
0: Did a new so Chrysler with both. It depends a- upon model of the Top Don. There are some that are slated for other markets and there was an issue within last month where a lot of them lost their capability and there is a workaround. It's just the tool originally wasn't serialized for this market or and or wasn't designed to really have autoauth, and it's just being ID'd as a launch tool in the background. But if you're having problem with your top Don, call top Don technical support and they will push it through. There's a current workaround until they can figure out all the licensing problems. So long story short, make sure if you buy one that you buy from a U.S. seller. Yeah. I don't actually think it matters, honestly, in this one, but do yourself a favor as a general rule of thumb that should be the case for every scan tool purchase. A um, reputable U.S.-based selling. Unless you're not in the U.S. True. Very true. <laughs> yeah, I Brian. see a comment
1: by yeah Brian about network topology. Yep. And, and usually I... when we say that, if you've been in the business a while, you immediately think like Witek 2.0 for Chrysler. Yep. Yeah. And then some of the euros are really good about topologies as well with the factory scan tools. And Tech was a factory scan tool for Chrysler. But recently, aftermarket scan tools have been adding this. Namely, Autel was the first and they did a really, really nice job with it. And then I think a few episodes ago on my podcast, I had said that kind of rated Autel pretty high because of that and that the others, namely like launch and top done, hadn't quite caught up. Of course, having said that, now I've noticed on a few different car lines, it seems to depend on the car line and the year and stuff like that, that their topologies are getting away from just, instead of being like per network, listing on per network, so high-speed can. Medium speed can, low speed can, body can, something like that, that they would have body, powertrain, ADOS, stuff like that. I've noticed on a few of them now that that's not the case. They are starting to list them by the network. It's immensely helpful, especially when you're running into a network issue.
0: The one thing I that I will say that is like hugely different between aftermarket and factory scandals. So looking at y looking at Autel that a lot of people may not know if they don't use the factory scan tool is when you scan it with Autel and you're looking at network topology, it scans it once, pings the module, shows it. With YTech, it consistently pings it. And I don't know how fast. I've honestly never looked up the white paper for it to see, but it's very fast. It's got to be, I'm guessing, 60 milliseconds because I think Jim is yeah. the one that told me that that's what OBD data can be refreshed at. So I'm wondering yeah.
1: if it's similar.
0: It's sub 200 milliseconds for sure.
1: Yeah. And then you can go faster yet by using the utility within Witech. In in, in IDS,
0: you have the same. You can ping the modules and it just keeps pinging them in a loop over and over and over again. So if you have a module that's intermittently dropping out, you can drive the car and watch to see is it just that module? Is it the entire bust? where the aftermarket scan tools aren't doing that. So it is a still a huge difference between a factory scan tool, the way topology works and looks, and the ability to look at the network live and constantly keep pinging versus using an aftermarket tool that pings it when you scan it and that's it. Now you could take the module off the bus and not realize that it's gone until you scan it a second time. So there's a big difference there for sure.
1: And I've also noticed my X tool scan tools have now added module topography. So one, one, I think it's becoming a thing.
0: One word of warning with the network topology, don't use the aftermarket scan tool as an indication of the network or the layout of the modules because it's a great quick check and, a, and an idea of who's talking. But I've seen some guys chase network problems, assuming that that was the layout of the network and really yeah. get misled. So that's the time to go for a,
1: a wiring diagram. Yeah. It comes back to service information. It's hard to use any Always. of this equipment independent service information it uh, doesn't yeah. matter if it's a scan tool or a scope or a meter test light it's really difficult to do pointed tests accurately efficiently without the roadmap absolutely so yeah, they just Agreed. go with such hand in hand i'm kind of looking at this comment by about beyond the y tech and autel it would be like the ultra series with the 909 919 ultra how many other scan tools will communicate with Chrysler power sliding windows? That is such a specific question. sliding this doors. Is,
0: Bob works on handicap conversion. Handicap. Yeah, so off the top of my head, I don't know. I can tell you I've been frustrated enough times with other vehicles. I won't grab a tool but a YTech for a Chrysler. I'm with <laughs> you. That's where I'm at. It works so much better. And it just... But if you're off. stuck with an aftermarket tool, I will say the Autel does work really, really well. I haven't checked Bob with like my think cars and I mean I have almost all of them like most everyone in this room we have between us we probably have every tool there is and be something to check I don't actually know the answer to that
1: and then we're kind of on a roll here yeah. Paul has a question since no scan tools come with much of a manual or can everyone become better at using the scan tool in their hands Rich. partly yes
0: <laughs> whip it out uh, and play with it yeah take it well I'll say this with my Diag business, I want to be cool like Keith, so I got myself a Zach. So my guy is is new to the industry, and if nothing else, I've got him trained to hook up a scan tool, scan all modules, and start there. So from there, who's talking, who isn't, what codes do we have, then go into modules. And oftentimes, I'm teaching, and he's, I'm remoting. He's calling me over the phone on break time, and we're going over things. But more often than not, if we're working together, I will try as much as possible because I'm lazy to stay in the driver's seat and look at the scan tool as much as possible, point out things to him. And and I've kind of gotten him in that frame of mind of what can I see from the driver's seat before I grab the scope or test light or whatever other tests it may be. So it's just using it on as many cars as possible. And you start coming across data PIDs you've never seen before. And that takes us right back to service information. If you see a data pit that you've never run into before, how do you know if it's a truly valuable data pit or not? You know, I know not every manufacturer gives us just a nice complete list like Toyota or GM do, but you might be able to drill down through service information and find out, oh, wow, that data pit is an amazing piece of information related to this specific problem. And I might not need that right now, but now I know that on these cars for the next time. So it's and just going a matter- on to quick what you were just brought up. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I didn't want you to leave that topic. Looking at data pids that you don't know about, you can use ScanShare. A lot of people don't know about ScanShare, the website that has a bunch of known good scan data on it. And if you don't know, like, is this PID that I'm looking at good or bad? And what should it be? A lot of times you can find the car on ScanShare if somebody's uploaded it, or you can ask try to request to send them an email and they'll try to get somebody to upload it and you can look at it and go okay well this it reads this way on my car but it reads this way on a known good so obviously it must be wrong in mine so if you can't find it in service information things like that are immensely helpful i think that and known it, good scan data is as valuable as known good scope captures at this point cuz it's yeah, just 100% there's so much you can't know know at it all
1: it's different it's scanshare.io Yep. Not .com or anything like that. So scanshare.io, I tried to fire it into the comments section. It's in there. (laughs) A few times. Stash.
0: Sean Hill had a good question. Can a J2534 device with OEM subs be a viable option for OEM scan tool interfaces? Example, Nissan Consult 4.0. Hyundai, Kia, GDS tablets, Subaru SSM4, or is the OEM interface needed in a mobile world working on new vehicles? Keith, I'm kicking out. one to you. He, he picked some interesting ones. Go ahead, Keith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So overall, yeah. With the advent of right-to-repair and it getting better all the time, yes, consult three plus right-to-repair version is extremely viable for 18 and up. Chrysler's, it actually works for, or Chrysler's. Nissan's, every time we talk about J2534 and there's two manufacturers, everyone has questions, Nissan and Chrysler. But overall, yes, a J2534 device is going to get you almost dealer level capabilities for diagnostics, especially on almost anything 18 and up, with exception of Hyundai and Kia. It's just a, there are some battles being fought right now on that. And here's the official word from, for those that haven't heard me say it before, I did corner Hyundai and Kia at ETI, Dan Portillo, Sartre, Thank you very much for letting me do this. But I cornered him, locked him down, got him on the phone, got him on a, a Zoom call. And the official word is it is supposed to work. We're working on it. It is not an intentional shutdown because of gateways. It's a challenge they're working through because the the team that works on that, they're working between multiple companies. GIT built software for them, but they're the ones working on the back end. So it is something that's going to be better. That's the challenge right now, Hyundai and Kia. The rest of the manufacturers pretty much abide by right to repair giving you full diagnostic capabilities with use of a J2534 device as long as it's 2018
1: and up. For 98 years, the NAPA name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. NAPA has the solution by making NAPA Auto Tech training available near you. Napa Autotech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisors skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technicians' knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind... NAPA AutoTech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of NAPA AutoTech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, NAPA AutoTech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what NAPA AutoTech offers, contact napaautotech.com. One of the
0: things that's difficult and you got to like everyone has to kind of think through this is that when you're looking at J2534 device versus factory OEM interface with like Hyundai and Kia, this is a perfect example and Chrysler is a good example of that. So Hyundai Kia uses a tablet and dongle from GIT. So the dealers are using that and all of the engineers are using that when they're going through vehicle like infrastructure, building everything out. So when it comes to J2534, if something doesn't work, typically the dealers don't know that it doesn't work, which means it doesn't get kicked to engineering. So the only way somebody realizes it doesn't work is if someone in the aftermarket tries it, and then it's up to us to try to tell everybody. But then, like Keith said, they've got to get a team to work on it, but it doesn't really affect their dealers. So it's hard to get people to work on that stuff. So it's always manufacturers that are using... Advice that is not a J2534 device. So that's why, like with YTEC right now, there's an issue where it doesn't see key cycles with a J device. And that's because Chrysler is using an MVP pod. So again, the dealers don't know about it. Engineering doesn't know about it. Nissan's VI2 and VI3 and same thing doesn't see key cycles again. So if it's a interface that is like the mdi2 or vcm3 even though those are factory interfaces i'm going to simplify and say they're closer to a j2534 device than obviously an mdp pod or the dongle for Hyundai, kia stuff like that so typically if it's a non j2534 type device the factory is using those are the ones that tend to have issues using a j2534 device in place of the factory interface
1: it seems to be a an issue more or less because some of the OE interfaces are difficult to get your hands on. So you're almost yeah. forced to use the JBOX version, R2R version, at least till so you can get your hands on the legit interface because it just seems to me like it, that's your gig. You're the mobile guy, you're showing up, you're the kind of, I guess, the expert, I guess. You're supposed to be the guy to be able to get it done. A lot of times you're gonna run into where you need that OE interface. It's it's not gonna provide the hassle you may have with the J Box. And that's not dumping on the J Box stuff. It's it's not like I don't use it. Cardact three plus is what I use for a, a few different things, and a lot of them are more friendly than others. You know, yeah. Toyota's super friendly. You could probably use about anything. You could probably find yourself a snap on red brick and use that as an interface. It probably I haven't I haven't
0: used a device that will work with the Toyota. <laughs> it's super friendly. Yep. The original interface it. with an Autel game that Keith used to use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. Literally <laughs> yeah. everything works with it. The, the black, black interface. One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not a J-Box. That's yeah. awesome. Videos have used it or pictures of me holding it up with TextStream in the background and people are going, How does that work? I'm like, Just it works. Install the drivers. So it'll go. <laughs> yeah. TextStream doesn't it care. Works. Yeah. And, and same with Honda. I
1: mean, Honda has worked for years <laughs> with virtually everything. Yeah. If you can get it downloaded. It takes days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we hear the horror stories about the J-Boxes with certain car lines. BMW comes to mind for one. Really, Mercedes, that was disastrous. Uh, that yeah. was, yeah, complete but disaster. BMW, another
0: perfect example. It's an icon that's from Actia. So it's not yep. even it's completely different than anything else. Not a cardiac device, not a Bosch device.
1: And a lot of times you're not interfacing, or I got to watch how I word that. You're not hardwiring it to the laptop running as to D, as to P. Yeah, you should you're be. connecting it, right. You're connecting it directly to a network, like a a switch or something, and then separately connecting your laptop to the switch and they find each other. Mm-hmm. And so that's really hard to duplicate with a J-Box. In the plant with BMW, they're using... An icon that doesn't
0: look like the dealer icon, but they don't even know what is it look ISTA like the cologne ones it's got a rubber boot around it and it's just more square, but like the guys that are in the plants don't even know what Ista is, so the engineers there have no idea what Ista is, and they're using cascada and or the cascada I'm going to get yelled at by somebody about pronouncing it cascada and inpa and then those devices are all wireless and you can call Germany and Germany will remote in and program a car or recode a car in the plant trying to figure it out. And the interface is not connected to anything. So it's very, like you said, very different in comparison to a J2534 device. And obviously, if they're not even using ISTA in the plant and the engineers aren't using it, it's a completely separate team. So it's very difficult. And this is all automakers. The amount of people involved in Engineering for one person does engine stuff. One person does body stuff. One person does AC stuff. And then the engineers in the plants are using engineering software. And then the guys that are in charge of dealers are using another software. And, you know, when I was working at the plant, one of the things they had a seat issue and I knew that they were going to have to replace or recode seats. And I brought up to make sure that the function was an ISTA. Because once we realized what was happening with them, that it was going to have to be recoded. And one of the engineers goes, well, what's ISTA? And then I realized that, okay, people in the plant don't talk to people outside of the plant. And there's just a lot of people don't realize how many lines of communication there are in a car company. So obviously it's, I'm sure it's there now, but he had to find the right people to talk to, to figure out was it already in ISTA, how to get it added in ISTA. And those people were not, I assume not in the US, I think it had to go to Germany and Germany decided on what to do with this stuff, but different software, different people, different teams, like there's just so much involved. And that's why if they're using a completely different interface and you're trying to use the J2534 interface, that's just adding a whole nother
1: thing into the mix that they don't know anything about. So I think Jim's got a softball here for a rich do any aftermarket tools recognize virtual networks, noting modules working across comm networks or communication Sorry, networks? A softball? I don't have an answer for that one. What? I thought you guys <laughs> were maybe... My, what am I missing? No, we're, we're insider
0: trading here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Helping you out a little bit. Yeah. Aftermarket tools recognize virtual networks, noting modules working across... Probably talking ORC no. module and looking at from like RC into occupant detection. where. Like if you scan it, it only shows ORC module and then you go into R C module and realize there's occupant detection. That's, that, I mean, that might be what to talk talking about. None, none of them like, show it correctly. Okay. Yeah. So aftermarket, no. I mean, I know that a tech stream, if you do the CAN bus health check or whatever, will show more than just CAN bus. It'll show other modules, even LIN modules that are communicating on CAN. So you can realize data is going
1: across there, but I don't. Aftermarket? No. I agree with Perkins there. I, not that I know of. Not yeah, that I haven't correctly. found them either. I would have to agree. And Jeff's wondering, besides the eScan Elite by ATS, are there any other aftermarket tools that do a relative compression test that is not a brand-specific function? My thought sort. process is I can't think of one that does. So the Autel battery
0: testers will do a relative compression Oh yes. Yeah. Okay, so if you have well, yeah, the... Yep. Hold on. I have one sitting here. Hang it's on. BAS. And while he's getting that, I will mention this. If you have Ultra or, or 919 that has the big giant BCI with, built into it, that little teeny tiny VCI that comes with a battery tester will communicate with your Elite or your other bigger snap-on scan tools. So if you don't like carting yep. around the big BCI, you can use the teeny tiny little red one that comes with that battery tester and it, it works very well. The teeny yes. tiny red one, the V200 device also has yes. a flexible data rate and DOIP. And mm-hmm. as of the last update for the PC suite, it actually includes J2534 drivers for that device. Yeah. Yes. Now, now I know somebody the, who's doing this programming with that. Oh, the, Isaac, uh, Isaac and I have done a lot of them with it. Okay. There we go. I didn't uh, want to name names. Yeah. <laughs> So the battery test part or the battery test tool that hooks to the battery. So if you're just plugging in the dongle, it doesn't do it. You have to have the actual battery tester hooked up. But the tablet, both tablet style, the one that looks like the phone and the one I held up, those have a relative compression function in it. Now it's what I'm going to call single channel. So like the e-scan. It'll tell you is a cylinder low will not tell you which cylinder because you don't have a way to identify which cylinder.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a kind of a function of the lab view portion of what e-scans written in, allowing them the flexibility to do that just to watch, monitor the voltage coming in through the dongle, graphing it out uh, or however they're just going to display it, however they choose to display it. Offhand, I can't think of anyone else that would do it that way. Those are really good suggestions. Another question that came in, how can we figure out how Take many modules in-
0: a certain car has? Oh, go ahead, Rich. Guess on before I read this one off? Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to answer Cole down there. Asked, does the dongle from the BT608 work with the Ultra? And yeah, that's the VCI 200, so it should. Yes. Go ahead, Jason. Tanner, sorry. Okay. so Jason <laughs> said, how can we figure out how many modules a certain car has? Say we skips the module, but the car has it. Best thing is look at the VIN and... Then figure out, so RPO codes, what does it have, or build sheet, using a factory scan tool or factory service information are really your best bet. Because the factory scan tool, most of the time, is going to show what modules it's supposed to have per the VIN or per the build sheet of the vehicle. So... Where an aftermarket scan tool, you may not know, does it not communicate? The factory scan tool is going to show that it's supposed to have it and that it's not communicating. And then same with looking at like factory service information, for example. If you're looking at factory service information, sometimes the diagram per the VIN will show you the correct diagram versus an aftermarket diagram may not. Now, it's not always that way. Sometimes the factory one also shows you everything and you've got to look at the build sheet of the vehicle to figure out what it has. So those are kind of the two different ways that you've got to go about find it, figuring that out.
1: One idea too is DTCs. If you have a bunch of codes pointing at a module, but your scan tool skips over it, maybe it's skipping over it because it's not communicating. Or, or whether it's there or not, it's not yeah. going to see it. And then- Or
0: someone put an automatic climate control cluster in your Explorer that you bought at auction <laughs> that's got codes <laughs> for it. And it doesn't. Yeah, this sounds like a recent thing. You made <laughs> that up. He just brought off a really, really good point. And this is something that, really should be talked about more is currently auction cars are an absolute Ooh. disaster. You never know, A, hey, is the VIN that I'm looking at on the vehicle correct? Is the vehicle cut in half and two cars put together? Does it have the right engine in it? Does it have the right modules in it? Like the amount of used stuff that it is getting put into vehicles right now that it can't have. And like looked at a car today that likely has the wrong engine. in it. There's four different engines available for the car. They didn't realize that After I looked up the Carfax, the car has the same mileage, same mileage on it that it did in March of 2022. From March to like all of 2022, the car just bounced from auction to auction to auction to auction. And that was kind of buried in the Carfax because now it's been over two years. But that stuff that's coming through auction right now that has strange used modules in it. The coding is wrong in modules or it's not supposed to have a module at all, but you plug it in, now all of a sudden it shows on. There's just so much going on with that. And that's where you really have to try to pay attention to like the cars that you're taking in, I guess I would say. That's kind of difficult, but there you can get yourself in a mess
1: right now with auction cars for sure. Yeah, there's just such a market for affordable used vehicles that they're they're doing some crazy stuff to try to get them on the lot to sell. Yeah. Making some very, very interesting problems that do not help the bottom line of the shop. You might feel like a superhero, but your boss may not think you are. Yeah. Un-
0: unfixable cars, will call them for... Unfixable for a reasonable price. Like, that's really... Well, yeah.
1: Unprofitable. Well, yeah. Jim's wondering, how fast are you using TP? I switched from flushable to flushable <laughs> wipe. I'm not going back. So once so you go that on is- day,
0: you never go back. <laughs> <laughs> there's an image I didn't need, Keith. That is an inside j- a joke. When I was talking about about data pits, there's a TP REAP data pit, not just throttle position, but how fast it's moving. That was a bit of an inside joke there. Often look at uh-huh. average throttle position on Chryslers when they come in for transmission concerns to determine if it's had a tuner or not. You get to where you look at good data all the time, normal data. And when you see something out of place, you go, huh. I've looked at 900 of these and none of them are like this or every one of them that have X have this data PID at this average rate or at idle or whatever. Yeah, tuned software. There's so many things that can throw a wrench in your you know, day that you didn't have to worry about years ago and now all of a sudden it's becoming a problem. I mean, look at, I had just made a comment with, was just talking to Jasper about this. So Jasper has a deleted CARB compliant GM engine And then now is going to offer a six speed with a, I think it was a billet pump or something. I don't remember the internal parts. At any rate, it also is going to come with an HP tuners dongle and it's going to download a different TCM file. So with the AFM deleted engines, I've ran into this before where Mm -hmm. AFM deleted engine is in a vehicle that is a sequential programming. And then two years later, it gets a new transmission and I show up to program the transmission and it does the ECM and the TCM, and suddenly you get done, and now you have codes for yeah, AFM components that are missing. Yep. And there's supposed to be a sticker. Now, if the shop does their job, puts the sticker on it, you can find the sticker. Hopefully, it's underlit. Hopefully, it's still readable, and you know what's going on prior to programming it. But if there's no sticker and you program it, now all of a sudden you have, AFM problems. Now you've got to figure out, okay, what am I going to do about it? The tuner is supposed to stay with the vehicle so that it can be reflashed, but depending on who did it, how it was done, things like that, or chasing your tail too. Somebody's been in there. I did a GM truck that I diagnosed for a shop. This was three months ago and I was chasing my tail because it made no sense. It had drivability issues, but it just was a really confusing thing. And I started to I'll look at oxygen sensor data and then realize that when I unplugged oxygen sensors, that the truck didn't set codes for unplugging oxygen sensors. And immediately I'm like, oh, I know exactly what's going on. And so then I reflashed it and I reflash it and all of a sudden the truck has 30 codes for all this stuff that it's missing. So that truck never would have been fixed had we not reflashed it because somebody had gone in and turned off a whole bunch of codes and Created a bigger problem than what they had to begin with, but the shop didn't know. And the guy that bought it had no idea he had got it used. So likely some used car dealer went in, turned off codes so that they could sell the vehicle and created a mess that then fell in the shop's lap and then eventually in mine. But
1: I had the op, well, somewhat opposite scenario where I got a call dealer programmed a vehicle. Now the complaint was lack of power. It was on a Ford. Oh man, I think it was the Sicko. And after programming, customer is adamant the performance is terrible and ends up uh, at our shop I drove it it seems normal because it was normal they programmed out the tune customer bought it with a tune they had no idea it was tuned so they were taught it drove a certain way had a certain amount of power if you will now it's back to normal stock and they're not happy and it's you know last time I checked fairly illegal to put the tuner back in yeah and that's something to bring up too so Talking a little bit about scan data here and trying
0: to figure out. I had a similar scenario car wasn't, well, I don't know if it was eventually tuned, I guess, actually. Now I did program it afterwards trying to figure out. So maybe I not tuned out of it, but a complaint was low power. And I drove it and I'm like, this thing feels fine. And it was a Buick Encore. So it's slow. It's a 1.4 turbo. It doesn't have any power to begin with. So we went round and round with it. And the shop owner's like, it has no power. Looking at everything was fine. I used the ATG calculator for volumetric efficiency and horsepower. I didn't really care about the VE part of it for this, but I showed him, look, let's run, put all the numbers in from scan data into the ATG calculator and horsepower was within or like estimated or theorized horsepower was within five horsepower of a new car. And so was torque. I'm like, obviously this car is fine. So you can use scan data and a calculator to determine Does this car actually have a problem? Is it actually low on power? So that one, you know, I was able to show the shop and go, look, car's just slow. I don't know what to tell you. Like, (laughs) it it just is what it is. And he looked at it and goes, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, it does show that much horsepower. At that point, you're done. But without using scan data to do that, you're kind of otherwise guessing or that shop owner was kind of really want to believe it, I guess, at first. I have a Jeep specialty shop that calls me. So a Jeep has some sort of pedal tuner or something aftermarket, or four million, million LED lights, lights. to use. So they call me about a drivability problem with with the Jeep, and when I get there, it's the newer four cylinder Wrangler with an aftermarket belt driven supercharger on it. And I'm like, I don't know what software it has on it. I don't know what kind of tune it has on it. And I ended up just going to global data and graphing throttle position, RPM, and mass airflow and took it for a drive. And you could watch the supercharger lock up. Supercharger was going bad. I didn't stop spinning lock up. The belt would slip, whatever it was. It didn't make any noise. But. RPM is steady, throttle position is steady and mass airflow just falls flat on its face. And uh, I said, guys, I, I took it for one drive and again, I had Zach with me. So I'm like, let's see what we can figure out from scan data. And I didn't trust the enhanced side because I just didn't know what was there. And uh, just from those three data pids, I, I came back and I said, take the belt off that supercharger. I think it's binding. And they called me 20 minutes later. I was onto the next car and they went, Oh yeah, this thing's falling apart internally. So it's just. Action reaction with scan data will sometimes tell you everything that you need to know if you know what to look for. I just saw a comment and I'm going to bring this up because it was a really good comment. Robert Kenny, let me show it here. They oh,
1: he goes And to
0: answer your question about the best and only scan tool to buy, Actron is the name.
1: I was going <laughs> to put my vote in for CarMD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then I or have fixed, fixed, fixed fixed fix, a Network of Master Technician. Yeah, I was going fixed. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You're good. So Robert says they need to be careful turning off codes. I've had DMV show up asking about cars that have been inspected. How AGR monitor two years ago, but doesn't this year. That's a point. Wow. I need to think I have not ran into that. I'm no longer in an inspection state. Robert's from up, uh, in the area that I'm from originally. So yeah, that's a thought somebody was looking closely at the scan report from it. And I'd be kind of curious about. I mean, I guess it depends. Well, no EGR should be deleted, but I don't say it depends on the car goes out of state and then comes back. I mean, that's going to be kind of or it goes out of country. It could go as and he's upstate New York, so it could go to Canada and then come back too. So,
1: Bobby's wondering, is there anything we can do about the climbing subscription fees? Would any of the companies other than Snap-on be open to doing something like a group buy for shops where everyone there can update their tools for a significant discount? Need your real- reaction? Charge more. Yeah, I got a
0: real quick answer for that, which is no other industry and no other anything anywhere at all could I ever think of where we could induce a vehicle manufacturer to change prices on something. So you can make an effort to maybe push for some legislation, but most likely the best answer is costs are going to increase. So your price has to increase. Have you bought milk or eggs in the last two years? Yeah. (laughs) Or, I mean, if you're talking about a group buy, talk to the shops or techs in your area and maybe the three of you can split a subscription. I don't know if that's legal, yep. but the yeah, best no, way to not break uh, a EULA is, is to the expenses. Yeah, best way to not break a EULA is you each buy a different tool and share it. Yeah. Or I mean the one thing to consider too, and this is more well, I guess it depends on the manufacturer, but I'm just gonna use autel as an example. So you can buy you're buying a update card for an autel. I'm positive that if you reach out to Isaac or AES Wave or any of those guys, that if you get 50 guys together to buy update cards, you probably could get a discount. So yep. you know depends on the tool and how it works. But I'm sure that because that you're buying like an actual, I'm going to call it a unit, you're buying a card. You could certainly buy those in bulk from somebody. I'm sure they'll cut you a deal.
1: Justin Porter, does Otis see key cycles now with a J-Box? I think the issue is a J-Box might be too vague. With a Cardact device version 23.1,
0: we'll see key cycles. I do not believe 23.1 is out yet. I think it's slated for September.
1: And yeah, although maybe not technically a J-Box, got to almost say something about the Adolin Scientech offerings. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, if you're using, yeah, an IMS2 with uh, Scientech or someone going over SOD, it sees key cycles right now and works fantastic. So, But it will have support using a Cardak device and most likely others, but it's tested using the Kardec 3+. plus.
1: This question is for Keith. So he's just ignoring the rest of us like we don't matter. (laughs) James knows (laughs) who to ask. Keith, do you have any information on Nissan VI-2 repairs? Yes. Next question.
0: (laughs) So I have repaired quite a few of those. What I find is the CAN transceiver on the board dies. You can try it on a K-Line vehicle. If it works, then the CAN transceiver has failed. Those are not available. They're not in production anymore. You're going to have to buy another one that has a different problem and steal the and see off of it and separate both pieces of the board, which there are 36 pins holding them together, and it's between the two. Hours and hours of work. If it, it doesn't turn on, it is one of 26 different issues, half of which the parts are not available, which is why Nissan's moved to a Bosch device away from the Tata-built VI2. That you also no longer mm, currently yeah. Yeah. get. <laughs> right. It sucks. It's frustrating. I have three of them at my shop that will only work for K-Line vehicles. Oh. Uh I have one maybe I'll stop doing Nissan who wants to buy it for $20,000 <laughs> <laughs> asked, when IDing a GM with my Autel, I often have to identify C options, HVAC options, radio options with a choice of four-digit numeric codes, <laughs> not RPO codes. Any clue how to get proper info? I'll let Rich take it since he raised his hand, but one thing I just want to add, some people said this before and asked why the Autel does it, the factory scan tool does it as well. Yeah. So just to add that, but Rich yeah. go for it since you said. I was going to share my screen and I was going to say repair link. And share my screen because I brought a. Oh, there it is. Yeah, okay. So there you go. So yeah, it. RPOs are you easy. Yeah, your Sierra. Oh. Let's try that. There you go. So, Repair Link is free to join and set up an account. Put the VIN number up here. You can see a bunch of VINs that I've worked on. Hit search. I've already put this 2017 Silverado, and right there is VIN attributes. And when I click on that, it brings up just about everything RPO codes, the number. It brings up everything but the four digit seat codes he's asking about. The uh, answer for that. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. So, so there we go. We just see page after page after page of RPO codes. Yeah. So Repair Link is great for that. Sorry, go ahead. Yes. Can. No, I, I was going to say, I cornered uh, Bob Stewart on this one and said, Hey, I'm teaching. I did a one hour GM class for uh, WTI a couple weeks ago and did it. And I cornered Bob and I said, All right, you have to get whoever knows the answer to this and tell me. And he said, Okay, so here's the deal. And then so, Just super quick, I will turn my face into the slide. This is a couple slides in the class. Basically, this is what he's asking about. You get a seat memory module version that's requested, the diagnostic data identifier. This is using GDS2, so you will see it with your Autel as well. If you see this where it's asking, it's because the module is one of a couple things So you will get that question if navigation of GDS 2 is being done without a car hooked up. The answer is hook a car up. You'll get that question if the seat module is not communicating, which means it doesn't have one or it needs to be diagnosed. Or the third possible error is if it has a seat control module, you know it has one. There are no codes and it communicates, but it doesn't identify and ask you to select it. It's a GDS authoring error and you randomly pick one and hope it works. And then you submit the the error report to GM and they will fix it on the next version. The short answer of that is just picking Pick from. one.
1: <laughs> that's what I all us, Man. Pick one.
0: Just like, like, Man, like, I yeah, the first part that Keith brought up is most of the time that it doesn't have it and that's yeah. why. So, yeah, just pick anything. Just pick one. Go. Yeah. But that's directly from General Motors. And then he went on to say that, yeah, you can randomly pick one, but please submit a request to us and we'll try to fix it. There's something wrong in the back end. Eh, you know, that sounds like stuff that I probably won't do. I'll pick one. Real quick. Scott asked this. No, they were talking about Volkswagen. Do not use a J five thirty four with a BMW. I didn't want somebody to go back and say, they said they could use J 20, yeah, don't do that. No. Oh, just only. Just hope you have a month to get it.
1: Bob's training the trainers here. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. I read that one. Wow. Caravan platforms use door counts to determine door position. Open to close. Pacifica platform uses inches on the passenger side and percentage on the driver's side. And no, I have no idea why. Just something for you guys to notice. We need Chrysler doing Chrysler
0: stuff, you know?
1: We need Bob to do
0: a minivan class because he sees such like specific random things with Toyota minivans and Chrysler minivans and he gets to see all those issues with those vehicles and it's a very needed class because even though it's just vans, it doesn't matter. We're all going to see a van in our shop. Every soccer mom has one that the kid is like throwing food all over the place, and it's yeah. going to be destroyed anyway. So
1: you, we you all haven't know lived more about vans. You have not lived until you've gotten to work on an MV1. So that's, that's right, a VPG MV1. Yes. My oh, aunt well. owns
0: a company where she drives people around to doctor's appointments, and she buys a couple of them every year for about eight hundred dollars at an auction. So they are cherry. When she gets them and (laughs) I have done an untold number of cloning of modules because half of them are CNG (laughs) and there is no programming the the factory tool for them doesn't have provisions for CNG and they're disastrous.
1: It is half Chevy Uplander, half Ford van truck that might need Adrian to re-ask this because I think it must have been linked to something specifically we were talking about. Yeah, he was asking about
0: JLR. Specifically, Okay. So the problem with DOIP devices that actually do DOIP that are J2534, they still don't function correctly for JLR because DOIP, there is DOIP standard, DOIP USA, DOIP Euro 5, and then DOIP actual diagnostics over internet protocol, like actual internet protocol. So almost all of them, all the J boxes that we use are built to the, to the USJ standard, which is completely different than the U.S. Euro standard, which is a problem. So like JLR, the only devices that really work are the Pathfinder device and the DA dongle. And because Diagnostic Associates made the original Davina device, they have a DYP version. that's available, but it's you got to ship
1: it from overseas. Ben is brave enough to let everyone know he is buying three fixed interfaces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Congratulations. So... Jeff
0: Barnes asks, are there any manufacturers planning on locking out aftermarket tools and is there any news about them using auto auth or something like that? No manufacturers planning on locking out anything. Chrysler uses auto auth and then potentially Nissan in the future. But that's it so far. They don't have can... intentional movements to do that. Correct. They're going to create <laughs> security gateways that will inevitably cause a function or many functions not to work on your tool for a period of time until it's worked out for the aftermarket. And Jeff works for me, so I don't know what he's griping about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice.
0: He's just we mad because like his I... Altel doesn't do all the stuff his Autel does.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have security issues to worry about now. And it was yeah. probably exaggerated by the whole Jeep ordeal. Yeah. Where I'm sure everyone's familiar about it, a couple of I guess we'll just call them software engineers, hacked, quote unquote, hacked a Jeep. The thing is, is they didn't just sit at the gas station while somebody was filling up, hacked the car. They had possession of the vehicle for a fair bit of time and they got to spend a lot of time with it physically. Yes, physically, inside and out. And then they got to the point where they could manipulate many different things, radio volume, I think the accelerator even. And yeah, that didn't just send Chrysler into panic. That sent everybody into a panic. And there's a lot of vehicles that have secure gateways that just aren't really enabled the same way we're seeing with Chrysler and now really with Nissan. And I think a little bit, like you hinted earlier, Hyundai-Kia a little bit, a lot of them have them already. They're just not enabled in the same manner. Yeah, Ford. That, yeah, is yeah. a really good example. Yeah. Yep,
0: well, yep. Most people have no idea that the OBD connector on a Ford is an actual module now. Pull it out from under the bash. It's and not- connector with wires on it on a 2020 explorer they have a gateway module that's not the obd2 port but it is one of those obd2 port ones bolted on the back of the bcm so (laughs) on the back of the bcm there's a there's one of those gateway modules with an obd2 plug hanging off of it bolted on the back but the plug-in has another harness that goes off and goes to the obd2 port under the dash because they
1: already have one
0: they already have why make one that doesn't have this piece when you need it for everything else
1: i kind of like this question miles hey guys Where can I get training on more info on expert mode on VW Audi? Snap-on Zeus, primarily a Snap-on user because the shop has it. I'm going to tell you the warnings are scary, but you're probably going to want to use expert mode anyways. Maybe don't want to fear it quite as much as you may. Depending on how many Volkswagen Audis you're working on and what vintage, you may want to look at getting yourself a VCDS. I don't think they're expensive enough to uh, cause your shop to bulk too badly you will feel much more comfortable using that. And then if you're working a lot newer Audis, Volkswagen Audis, namely like the UDS stuff, it's so hard not to go with Otis. And I know that sucks because interfaces, the Boss 6154s, the interfaces are really, really, really tough to get your hands on. So then you're also kind of looking at Otis, the hoops to jump through to get that up and going, and then probably like an Autoland Scientech, Scan 3 or the SF version. Sweet. But I would not fear the expert mode. No, the warning comes up. It scares the bejesus out of you. Like you can wreck stuff, render the car disabled, something like that. Just click by. It's, it'll be harder to wreck it than you, than you think, or at least would the, what they uh, would have you believe. I mean, the VADCOM wiki gives you all of the measuring blocks and all those numbers that. To use in conjunction, yeah. Yeah,
0: that could allow you to, to see or understand what you're looking at in the Snap-on with expert mode.
1: That's pretty good advice. So if you go to the Ross-TechTech.com, Tech there is a search function and use that in conjunction with whatever tool. It won't have to be Snap-on, but for your specific question, the Snap-on in expert mode, it'll give you the measuring blocks, what the fields all mean. Because if I remember right, Snap-on does not identify any of that. So no. it'll work. But you'll have to use it hand in hand with Rostec. I think almost specifically the website, the information on the website to help you decipher what is what. Like I said, if we're working on, yeah, I almost hate to put a year on it. Would you guys say it's 2015 too late for yeah, VCDS? Like, when you get
0: into some other like Cassie stuff, even ABS modules on mm-hmm. anything with a push button start with a Cassie SVM coding's is required. So you can't do a whole yeah. lot of replacements. But yeah, even up to 15, 16 with drivability and stuff, you're fine. It yeah. works well. So it'd
1: be hard not to get a VCDS. Tyrell, could the battery tester high voltage battery for hybrid and EV vehicles?
0: I think could he was th- wondering about the one I held up. I got to no. say, no. No, no. no. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah. You could do that from the scan tool. Yeah. With almost, that's what with I almost everything. As far as I know, I'm sure there's very specific instances where this is wrong, but as far as I know, there's no manufacturer that really has you going to the high voltage side directly for testing. All the testing is done with a scan tool and then maybe very specific part outside of the battery. Yeah. Offhand, I can't think of anybody that has you open that up to do any sort of testing.
0: Yeah, basically based on DTCs, it may be a dead to rights, you must replace the battery module assembly or you need to go check for leaks in high voltage and insulation and then replace this part.
1: Yeah. All right. Damon, almost said demon. Sorry, man. Damon, if factory tooling isn't available, say for a BMW or Mercedes, what is the success rate for coding and programming modules? Autel support claims they pay for the licensing and capabilities to access files to complete a coding or programming event. I've been a 100% successful thus far. Thank you for your input. So I'm
0: not a BMW person, but those of you that know Justin Morgan, Justin lives local to me. Justin's pretty much, Every single day, 10 hours a day is spent unbricking BMWs from problems caused by non-factory tooling. Like that's literally every day, like five days a week, eight to ten hours a day. So that tells you like how many problems I guess are created from whatever tool is used, whatever non-factory factory tool. But yeah, that's just BMW that's not including Mercedes.
1: Yeah, I think it almost goes by chassis. Certain chassis you can get away with more than others. E chassis stuff, haven't been too scared to deal with. I haven't done an F chassis, definitely not a G chassis. I'm too scared.
0: I've done F and G chassis and heads-up displays on both with Auto.
1: Nice. Yep. Now I'm going to start
0: braver than I am. (laughs) Yep. Both of which standing there with my icon on my hand going, when it fails, not (laughs) if, when. So... I say that, I want everyone to be extremely clear. I recover more BMWs from failed Autel events locally in Tulsa than I do regular ICOM events in Tulsa. I recover more than, than I do normally. I would say there's, like, some people were saying that they've been successful. There's certain things that are common failure that, because they're common enough failure and they're old enough, that Autel has figured out, like, this specific thing since they brought up Autel. But there's certainly like if you're trying to do something that is not a common thing, I personally wouldn't risk it. I guess it's up to your shop and you know what you want to do, but not a risk I'm willing to take.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of the scan tool manufacturers are starting to offer remote programming. And so I don't know if that involves uh, a little bit of what you're talking about as well, where you have whatever tool that may be Autel, ice Autoland Scientact, the iScan series. They will allow remote programming and then somebody on the other end is connecting to that vehicle, just say virtually, with some other tool. Probably the factory scan tool, but it could be something else. It would be kind of funny if somebody was using a top-down remote and then somebody logged in using an Autel to program a BMW.
0: Hey, you can use anything over remote programming services. (laughs) I think
1: that would be (laughs) hilarious. He says they look at me. So now there's to... the subject of our second. I, I'm, not, I'm not going down. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> I mean, down that right now.
0: How many aftermarket tools can we piggyback?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just uh, like that's... Daisy Chain.
0: You can pick. You can pick up <laughs> yeah. blue one and a red one and Daisy Chain them through a J box to a Legacy Chrysler. <laughs> Eric brought up something that I, I wanna... need something to remote into my Snap on brick. So up wanna... Something I want to touch on quick. He says, VCDS isn't bad. Try dealing with someone who uses Forescan to change things without backing oh, up yeah. first. So here's the deal, though. That's not a big problem because they can go in and change whatever they want in as-built data. All you've got to do is go to Motorcraft Service and pull the as-built data and go in and put everything back to factory. Or if you're using Forescan, you can just load the factory as-built data so they can go in and screw up whatever they want, just load factory as built back into it and then start over. You're fine. Yeah, but you might not know that ahead of time. Getting there, you might not know what somebody's already gone in and done. When you do enough boards and you do enough stuff like that, you check as built data regularly. I mean, the amount of times that I go in and check as built data constantly on stuff to just to see if somebody's been in there, screwing around with stuff. And the amount of Ford modules that I recover for people, i seem to get calls from many of our friends all across the country with Fords that are got a used module put in it, has a VIN mismatch code, has a configuration mismatch code, has a steering rack that was put in it that they can't get to get rid of bin codes. Sometimes it's not as built data. Sometimes you're going in with IDS. Or FJDS and using special function engineering code and putting an engineering code in, so it's not looking at any of the inhaled data and just basically blasting in the information or blasting in the as-built data. But yeah, if, if you have something that like you're unsure about, just put all the as-built data back to factory. Even if like if you don't have four scan, you can't look at it all. Then go into IDS FJDS, use special function code, put it in, reprogram the module, and it's gonna put in. It's either going to have you manually put in as-built data or it's going to pull it off the server and manually put everything back. And once you
1: do that, then you're at least starting over from, you know, starting over fresh, basically. Right on. Damon would like to know, Keith, of your recovered modules, are they used or new? Most of them were originals that someone tried to update with the tool or they introduced a new
0: module and tried to program it. Typically, if someone calls me and said, I put a used module in this car, and then I tried to program it, and then it failed, and the half car didn't talk, I start with, I'll take the vehicle, but I also am going to put new modules in it, brand new. Somebody just brought up a, another thing that I'm going to bring up. It says, How many times is four scan bailed out on tuned vehicles? It's not a four scan thing. That is a uh, everything. It's looking at the basically the software number that's in the module. And if it's whether you're using IDS or FJDS, if it cannot recognize the number, somebody has gone in and played with software numbers not a factory number it's going to bail on it so that's why sometimes with diesel trucks if you try to update and this can be this isn't just a Ford thing but it happens more on Fords IDS FJDS will pull the file and say it's not recognizable and then I'll want you to do anything to it now you can go in and put in again special function code and as I call it it's just going to force it into it but the module may fail at that point. It's not specifically a four scan thing. Just when people start messing with software stuff and Keats can, I'm sure, talk more about this than me. Gets back quick. So the worst part about Fords is when they physically remove the modules mm. and you're doing a Ford sequential programming, which is almost all diesels. When you go to do an engine control module for a 6.7, it does engine control, a particle matter, NOx, GPCM. And if one of them doesn't communicate, it bails. So a replacement PCM on a tune truck. We get them all the time. I'm in Oklahoma. We don't have a state emissions or safety testing. There's, you just got to have a face to have a driver's license or most of one. You, I mean, (laughs) it's, it happens often and we, we we're in diesel country and we are called for a PCM this for truck. We need you to come program it. Just so you know, it was tuned. We know that it's not going to start, but one time when we get done because there's no EGTs, blah, 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 blah. I immediately, and immediately they know, I know you guys won't tune it. I know you won't do it. I was like, okay, but here's the problem. It'll fail programming unless they tuned it, unless they left all of the components on the truck and communicate. So they're like, well, what do I do? I'm like, you go buy $2,900 worth of stuff and plug it in and let me program the PCM. And then you can do whatever you want after I leave. I don't care. Yeah and I misunderstood his comment. He said how many times he's gotten bailed out by Forescan and I agree. Yeah. Yes. the uh All of us, the amount of times we've gone in and fixed something and somebody brought up about the, you know, somebody swapping clusters and radios trying to upfit something and playing with stuff with Forescan. That's definitely a problem and the only way you're going to know that's where Forescan can be super helpful with bailing out because you can go in and look and say, okay, what is the as-built data? Does it match the as-built data from the truck and at that point you'd see that it won't. Well, so Forescan is a lot like easier to look at as-built data and manipulate as-built data the stuff like that for sure. I have a shop down here that does a bunch of diesel modifications because we're not an emission state either. And one of the things they'll do is put oversized gas tanks in it, and you go into the cluster with four scan and change mm-hmm. the gallons. And next thing you know, it says nine hundred and seventy miles to empty or something. It, it's yep. reading correctly because it knows the true capacity of the gas tank, so it's
1: four scans. Nice, yeah. You stole the example I was going to use. Yeah. Yep. My truck, my 17 F-150
0: Platinum did not come with adapter cruise control, but came with lane departure. I put a cruise control module on it and got as built from an identically built truck and then changed the first two lines just with a hexadecimal editor to my VIN number instead of theirs and programmed it with force scan and turned it on in the cluster
1: and in the ABS. Yep. Or added cruise control by installing a different steering wheel. Yep. And um, turning it on. Remote. And that's programmable parameters even though. Yep. Some of them are. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the last one I did, I had to do it through as through the as built data yeah it was crazy because yeah I'm used to just going into programmable parameters enabling it done yep done and that one for whatever reason and then remote starts a lot of times if they want remote start you just get the key with the remote start you might have to get a different you might have to get a different BCM but the last one I did it was ready to go you just get the remote go into the as built data edit a line and it works or two separate lines there's two separate lines that you edit and it works just like magic has anybody he, seen on newer vehicles
0: that as-built has not been available? And the guy says, yep. okay, I have lot that, I lots lot of them. Missing Sean, ABS no. as-built on the server, missing, ABS is the one I run into a bunch, missing as-built in I, the ABS. I have seen missing as-built for power steering control module because it's supposed to pull it from CC data. I have yeah. seen that. But yeah. most of the time, I would say if it's missing, if you call them, it's likely that it's not missing on purpose. Sometimes... That might not be the case, but most of the time it's going to be that somebody screwed up the file that's uploaded. So call and let them know or file an SIR and let somebody know that it's missing so it can be updated.
1: Jeff's wondering if you can add in good cam camshaft phasers. Yes, if you get them from Amazon.
0: He says that because my truck sounds like a typewriter.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I got a five zero. Uh- and it it sounds like a typewriter. We did the PCM update in one of our programming classes and immediately, like it, it pops up when you go to do it. It's like warning the customer may complain of a typewriter sounding noise. This is normal. It's an enhanced camshaft phaser cleaning at idle. Dude, it for this PCM. I just did the update immediately started my truck and went, dah, 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 dah,
1: dah, dah, dah. it just started. Playing. I was like, oh man, wish I could roll it back now. Corey is wondering if scan is still 50 bucks for software. No. Unfortunately, they went to like 12 or 15 bucks a year now instead
0: of 50 bucks lifetime. I think you can still do like 30 bucks for five years. It's still extremely affordable. Yeah. Yeah. According to the website, 12 bucks. There you go. Nice. Per year.
1: That's tough to beat. Hard to pass up. I was going to show, you know, we've rattled off a bunch of different scan tools, specifically factory tools.
0: I'm just saying I win because I turned this into a programming podcast.
1: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So OEM one stop. I don't know if that it gets mentioned quite enough. We don't see enough of it on social media when we're talking about all this stuff. But this is a great place to go to find out what you need. Either surface information, factory scan tools, the software, the hardware, all stuff like that. Another resource is NASTA. Are you live on that
0: screen right now or is that an image? That is live. Can you click that Nissan ARIA bumper refinishing requirements? I want everyone to see that manufacturers are specifically outlining brands and product lines of paint you can and cannot use on cars. Perhaps yeah, everyone know. should go to OEM One Stop, click the It'll Nissan audio link, and read that. There you go. You don't have to read it; just scroll down. It's entered t- the the chart alone. <laughs> oh, they wow. are calling out manufacturers and product lines and saying yes or no. You can't use it. Can or can't use it. Yeah. I've- the actual manufacturer and product line of paint is what he's talking about. So yeah, yeah, they're calling brands. Out, they're saying this BPG, Deltron, GRS. You can use it only if it's whatever code.
1: Yeah, not to turn this into an Ados podcast, but it's interesting. You had me click on that and bring this up. I found an article about how they're going to have a. St- or how it should become more common for us to be testing the strength yeah. of the radars. Radar, the radar attenuation radars. testing. Yes.
0: So when you're using Zentry, there's a tool you need to have with it to test radar attenuation and make sure that it is functioning at X distances because of interference from improperly done
1: body repairs. And then one other resource, it's very similar to OEM One Stop, but that is NASDAF. I bring my cursor over and I go right off the screen. All right, there we go. It's free. Register, you're free. You probably have to get something called Authy, and that's a the code generator, two factor code Fact. generator. And then you can log in, and I will have to use my two factor here quick. He's like, I'm not going to type that in on screen. <laughs> so you can hurry up and get into my account right now. Yeah. And then you look over here to the left of the dashboard, you can scroll down and you have automaker info and just click on that. And that will take you to links very similar to OEM One Stop. But I think this is kind of the name of the game, the way it's going. Everyone should probably start working on getting there, at least becoming a member of NASDAQ or registering with NASDAQ. and then eventually, if you're going to get into some module programming, of course, a mobilizer stuff. And I don't know, but you know, Keith probably has more to say about it than I do at least pertinent information, is ADOS. I have a suspicion that we're going to have ADOS stuff running through NAS stuff using our credentials as well, VSPs. Yeah, I mean, already uh, have
0: to do it for cruise control modules on some EcoSports and Expeditions. Just calibrations require VSP login.
1: I replaced the PCM on a Ford very recently. If you listen to the podcast, I talked about it and I have the factory scan tool already had keys, but I had to use my VSP, which is Vehicle Service Professional credentials to finish it. Robert says,
0: yes, ABS is now security related. Yep. Many ABS modules require a patch
1: parameter reset that requires a VSP login. Yeah. So it's just the name of the game. I think those are good resources to find out. You know, when we're talking about Zentry, that's a Mercedes factory scan tool. Where How do you get your hands on one? How do you buy one? And it's quite the process. Probably need a separate credit card for it. And then, yeah. you know, unless you're Falco, he you just writes a the check. They
0: don't nope. accept checks. Oh, They don't accept checks. You have Maybe. to use a credit card, not a debit card, a credit card.
1: because nice. nice. they want to make sure
0: that they get their money.
1: <laughs> <get their> money. <laughs> 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 yep. yeah. Charge back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, terrific resource. You can do a lot of digging. And then, of course, it's your links to your service factories. Service information. So all that Mitchell, I didn't fix. Whatever kind of leaves you hanging. Even modal logic. I got right? it. <laughs> That's where you would go to find the links to pay a, even a short term subscription to get factory service information. So
0: and if you are not a NASTF member, definitely become a NASTF member. I don't know if you guys saw and it's. I don't actually know if it's active on the website, so that's why I didn't tell you to click on it, Matt. But as Matt was scrolling through that, there's now a link that says knowledge articles on the SDRM landing page. And there's going to be a lot of information there for all NASDAQ members shortly.
1: Nice. Nice. And and there's a lot of information on NASDAQ for what to do to get your vehicle security professional credentials. Usually the hang up ends up being insurance. They've got walkthroughs or a lot of information on how to help you and your insurance agent get you the proper insurance. And then I think a lot of it too, is not even just the insurance itself, like the coding. There's actually a
0: video on it now that walks through exactly what you need. And yeah, it has nice sultry voice that explains everything (laughs) as you go through it. Donnie? No. (laughs) You were serious then. (laughs) In the knowledge... Base. there's a whole bunch of how-to videos and there's going to be more that I'm helping with and there's a bunch in there. One of the ones we did was on certificate of insurance, what it is, what to tell your agent and walk through two of like each step-by-step of everything that you need. So yeah, all those videos are going to be available.
1: I should probably flip to the live chat but I got Sean asking if anyone's using the Ford VCM light. The only one I know off the cuff is Brian Pollock, but maybe you guys have it already. Yeah, we got one. I do
0: not. I know the person that, all well, the two people that helped to bring that to market and helped with the engineering of it. I don't know. It's kind of up to Ford on what gets added to it and how much gets yeah. added to it. I'm hopeful that I've pushed some feedback to them, but it's ultimately up to Ford of how yeah. far it goes. They did commit to Pat's programming being added. Ford did. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it's 499 bucks on the Motorcraft or the Rotunda website, and it's 150 a year for the phone app. That it uses does pre scans post scans graphic. Ryan says it works good on the new stuff, live data, and it's in their advertisement. Pat's programming coming soon.
1: Yeah, nice. That might be worth considering. Then I
0: think at this point we should jump to Rich has some stuff to share, and I have some stuff to share. We are at nine thirty, so probably another thirty minutes or so. I don't want to. I keep thought we were going, going till midnight. Point. We, can. Yeah. we when- can go as long as you want. But I see Carm over there freaking out. No kidding. Sure. <laughs> Just started crying. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, you go first. Me first. I were like, like super, like super amazing diagnostics to share. I talked about that Jeep. There is one I'll share and then I'll pass it on to you, Tanner, since we don't have a whole lot of time. Cause Matt actually was the first one to show me scan data of this particular problem. And when I first looked at it, what Matt gave to me, I didn't see it at first. And when he pointed it out, I went, oh yeah, okay. Now I have to keep that in mind. And this 2011 Terrain was at a shop, came in, the exhaust manifold was literally split into three pieces. The cat catalytic converter had come apart. So they put a new exhaust manifold, new cat on it, and it still doesn't run right. And it's fallen flat on its face. And, I drove it and I said right to the shop, just based on the drive, this thing has, this has got a clogged cat. Oh, no, everything's new. And I was like, this thing, it feels like it can't breathe. It sounds like it can't breathe. And and then I remembered Matt, and I forget what car that was that that Matt did. But what you're looking at is my test drive and you can see the problem right in the middle of the screen. Orange is engine RPM. Purple is the mass airflow sensor and blue is engine load. And you can see RPM increasing and mass airflow and engine load dropping. And at the same time, again, action, reaction, when you're looking at the scan data, my short-term fuel trim goes way, way negative. We're looking at a, at a car that just suddenly can't move any more air through the car and short term fuel trim is reacting to that lack of air or that reaction in the drop of mm. engine load and and the drop of fuel delivery. So right there in, in the middle of the screen is yeah, this thing can't breathe, guys. I, I really think that you've got a clog. Something's clogged. Where did the rest of the catalytic converter go? And uh, they dropped the exhaust down and yeah, everything went into the muffler or the secondary cat, I can't remember, and it just plugged it solid. So this was one test drive with, and I've got data that confirms, yeah, we need to tear this down or where we need to drop the exhaust and see why this thing can't breathe. And I did have throttle on, I thought I had throttle position on there. Maybe that was a different screen, but I just, it is just looking at those data pids and understanding what they're telling you and, and understanding the actions and reactions that you should see. Bob mentioned knowing what, how the sliding doors on caravans and and Pacifica's work and how the data is different and its repetition. It's seeing these problems over and over again. It's recognizing the data and looking at service information. And, and you start to make those connections. To go all the way back to Paul's question, which was, how do I get good at this? It's repeatedly starting with your scan tool and collecting as much data as possible. And to answer Bobby's question, this is the top-down Phoenix, I think it is. I can't keep up with the number of, of tools out there, but that is a top on tool. I love the top-down, but I've also seen some, to go back to that data transfer rate discussion, I've seen some data PIDs that didn't report very clearly, like things were dropping out. So I like it. It works very well. I think the graphing is just slightly better than the Autel because you're not limited to how much you can put on the screen, but but yeah, that's one of the top down scandals and uh, a three, four data pids. Yeah, I know. Paul says with all this free time we have. Yeah, that's an issue. Sorry, Paul. So that's. I've got one or two other examples, but if we have time, we'll come back to me because they're none of them are rocket science.
1: So, but that's the day-to-day stuff, though. That's the stuff that exactly. That's it, the number
0: of times that I have fixed an air conditioning-related problem or seen the problem with scan data and had a shop go, "I didn't even know that was there." Oh wow, you can because so many shops they're still stuck in Snap-on brick days where, well, I check the codes and there's no codes, no codes anywhere. Well, none in the ECM. That's the only place you
1: looked, scan all the modules. So, sorry, moving on. Well, I I know it wasn't the vehicle that I showed. I'm sure I showed you it at one point, but I don't think that's the vehicle that you based this off of. But I had a Ford Escape that got a new engine put in because three cylinders would go dead going down the highway. So they put an engine in it and it was a clogged cat on one bank. And that was found. I mean, the vehicle was still on the hoist. I didn't even drive it, hooked up a scan tool and revved it up. And that one, you got the really, really good short-term fuel trim split bank to bank. So one tanks and the other one skyrockets. And idle, they're pretty close. Engine runs good. But you get that thing to move air or trying to move air. And you have the repercussion of PCM having to make an assumption that all the air going through that mass airflow sensor that it's measuring is being evenly split. And that's why we get this fuel trim shift bank to bank. And so that, I don't know if the customer got paid for a new cat and got a free engine, but I think it was the other (laughs) way around. The other way around. Or the bad cat took out the engine. Of course. That could be. (laughs) All right,
0: you're up. Yeah, before I jump into mine, one of the things I wanted to show here... Well, somebody's comment quick and just touch on this since we talked about NASDAQ. Robert said insurance is harder to get as mobile. I'm going through it now. Insurance agent wants to ring my neck. So Keith and I have already jumped through this hoop. Reach out to me afterwards and I'll help you. But as a general rule of thumb for anybody that saw that comment or has had this issue is a mobile diagnostic guy or any shop for that matter that has an issue. Step number one, the person that does your car insurance and does like personal insurance and just car and homeowner insurance, not the right insurance agent to use likely unless they do commercial policies. The number one problem I see with people trying to get insurance when they start trying to get their VSP is they're trying to use the same insurance agent that does their vehicle insurance and that person does not do commercial policies and doesn't know about commercial policies. So Robert, I'm going to reach out to you afterwards and I'll give you some more info on it. But As a general rule of thumb, somebody that's trying to get your VSP, make sure you are working with a commercial insurance agent that understands business insurance. That's definitely the biggest problem that I see. And with that, we'll quick jump into what I want to talk about here. So... One of the things that I wanted to bring up tonight was talking about different data and using scan tools to look at data in modules that are not related to drivability stuff. So in the beginning, I was saying a lot of the stuff that I see now is electrical problems or body problems or comfort access problems or just random things like that. And it's very clear that shops don't know that there's data to be used in the modules or... There's also a problem that Rich brought up that maybe one scan tool only has like 10 PIDs in an HVAC module. And then if you look at it with the factory tool or with another tool, you may see that there's like 130 PIDs and you have to have all of the PIDs that are available in each module. Now, it's very important that you have access to the correct PIDs because The data that is there is very important. So I'm going to go over this case study and then we're just going to look through some different data and different modules so that you guys can get an understanding of what you should be looking at. So this is a real common problem that I'm seeing. I'm in South Carolina. It's very hot. It's been like 95 for the past month. I, some of the guys that are from one of the shops that actually had one of these, this particular truck is not from your shop. It's from another shop two months prior to that. But I see this problem literally at least once a month. An HVAC module gets replaced for a no AC compressor clutch operation. So this is back up a little. This 2010 Ford F-150. Customer complaint is the AC compressor clutch does not come on. They also may note that the compressor clutch comes on for a very split second. And then turns right back off. Again, I'm seeing this constantly. I do one HVAC module a month because somebody has put it on and asked me to program it. And then the car is not fixed. They will have a B10, B9 blower control circuit short to ground or open stored in the HVAC module when this happens the blower motor will work in most instances, so that code gets overlooked. What I'm going to tell you is that code, the B10, B9 blower control circuit code, is the reason the AC compressor clutch does not work. It's a logic problem that Unfortunately, when the software was written, it was missed. If you type in that code in a normal service information system, so Mitchell, all data, something like that, and you actually go into troubleshooting for that code, it will not tell you that this code prevents AC clutch operation. There's nothing there. If you type in an identifix or something, you'll find that, you know, there's other hits there that that code will cause the AC compressor clutch to turn off. So how do we use scan data to kind of go through this and figure out that we don't have a bad HVAC module? So I'm going to show you a video. This is IDS, and I want you to keep an eye on the PIDs up here at the top because these are going to be our clues that the HVAC module is not bad. So the way the overview of this system real quick, when you push the button, the HVAC module requests AC to come on. And then from HVAC module sends a signal to the PCM and the PCM requests that the compressor come on. So if the HVAC module is good, then we will see an AC request and it will change from no to yes. So I'm going to go ahead and play this and watch it very closely because it's going to change. Actually, let me, I'm going to zoom you guys in here. Let me find my zoom thing. This should help you a little bit. Okay. So these are the PIDs that I'm talking about right here. Okay. Click play. All right. So watch it right here. You're going to see it change yes, no, see it change to yes. Pressure comes up and then it immediately changes back to no. But because that AC request PID changes to yes, that means that the HVAC module made the request. So the HVAC module isn't bad. It made the request and it said yes. So Once we know that, we can eliminate the HVAC module as being bad. The HVAC module saw the input, made the request, it said yes, then it changed the request to no because it saw something it didn't like. The PCM also made the request and turned the compressor on because it turned on for a split second and then it turned off. That tells us HVAC module is able to make requests, so HVAC module is good. PCM is able to make requests, ground the compressor circuit. PCM is good, circuit is good, compressor is good, and because we saw AC... Pressure come up. That means that the compressor obviously also made pressure. So looking at those PIDs and understanding why they're there, that gives you to say, okay, it's not an HVAC module. For some reason it shut it off. So it saw something it didn't like. Well, if you clear that code, then the AC compressor will come on until that code is set again. So years back, we used to tell people not to clear codes, but Outside of engine drivability and even with engine drivability now, you document the code and then sometimes you have to clear the code to make a system function again. So when you clear the code, now all the compressor comes on, works again. As soon as the code sets again, guess what? The request goes back to no. So even though service information doesn't tell us anything about that that code will turn off an AC compressor, you can figure that out by looking in scan data and looking at the requests and making a conscious decision of, okay... Why is it turning off? But you can go through the circuit and see what is good and what is bad and then it's up to you to make the determination of what's causing it. So for AC as an example, sometimes pressure PID or a temperature PID or something like that will cause it to shut off and you'll see the request go back to no in the PCM because the PCM saw something that it didn't like. So I just want you guys to be aware of that you're, you have to be using the data that's in the modules, not just in engine modules. So in order for this truck to be fixed, it needs a blower motor speed controller. One thing to add to this. Do not put an aftermarket one on. Most of these that I see, the blower motor didn't work at some point and then it got an aftermarket speed controller put on it and then the blower worked and then the AC stopped working. So it's almost always that it's an aftermarket speed controller that causes that code. So just always use a Motorcraft speed controller on that one. So now I want to touch on We're going to be kind of generic on this. I'm going to show you GM and I think maybe I have a Chrysler in here too. But talking about starter request PIDs and ignition PIDs and start stop button PIDs and stuff like that. So a lot of times I get called and a shop will say, hey, I think I have a bad start stop button because the vehicle doesn't do anything. Nothing turns on. But you have a PID that you can go ahead and say, okay, this push button ignition switch right here, push button ignition switch where it shows inactive. When you push the button, that will change to active. If it changes to active when you push it, the switch is fine. Nothing's wrong with it. So you're using scan data to eliminate something. Now, Down here, you have accessory relay command and power mode. All of these different PIDs, when you go into push the button and it goes into accessory, you can see it go into accessory. Then you go down and you see run crank relay command that shows active. That means the vehicle is cranking over. If run crank relay command never changes to active, but you can see that your push, your start stop button is being pushed. Then for some reason, the vehicle is not commanding your run crank relay. And the amount of times I see starters get put in vehicles and then I don't even get underneath it to check it. I simply go in and I push the button or I turn the key and look and see does it have a run crank relay command and the run crank relay command never comes on. If it doesn't come on, it's because something's preventing it coming on. So you're going to use scan data PIDs to make a determination of where to go next. Is the button working? Is it seeing accessory position? Then if it doesn't go to crank, why doesn't it go to crank? Another thing that I see a lot of times is anti-theft PIDs or immobilizer PIDs. People think that, you know, the car maybe has an immobilizer problem because the car doesn't start. Well, you can look and find immobilizer PIDs and be able to look at and say, okay, does it see the key? So this one, for example, immobilizer password learn in the body control module shows inactive immobilizer security code lockout no. So if that was to read yes, then you could have a security problem. But because it reads no, that means that it's not locked out. So you don't have a security problem. So these PIDs help to point you in a direction. So you need to get used to going into the data in other modules, not just the PCM and understand that these PIDs can help you to diagnose it. So this one, even though I have immobilizer stuff, this Malibu had an issue with the trunk wouldn't open. Well, you can see we have pits right here that show key fob and what button was pushed. So unlatch rear closure shows key fob function button or key fob one function unlatch rear closure. So I could push the key fob button and it would show unlatch. They thought it had a bad BCM. Well, the key is working because It's seeing unlatch rear closure and the BCM is also working because it's changing and saying, I see the change in state. So this actually had a broken wire in the back, but I knew that my problem wasn't at the BCM and I knew the problem wasn't the key because I'm looking at the data in the BCM and saying, okay, I have a direction and the problems at the back of the car not at the BCM. So you have to use scan data to go through that. This one is uh, another GM. This is a Cadillac, and you see crank request signal right here shows no. So if it shows no and you are actively trying to crank the vehicle, that means that the car is not asking the starter to turn. And there's going to be a reason that it's not asking the starter to turn. It sees something that it doesn't like. So just get used to going through these PIDs. It depends on your scanner. So this is a MOLA scan tool and it's in starting and charging, but there's a whole bunch of different places where this data might be. So depending on the tool, you might have like this, I'm in, this one is in the PCM, but I'm in starting and charging. There also might be oxygen sensor data and there might be cam sensor data. You know, there's different places that you're going to have to look for these PIDs, but you've got to be aware That you got to start using them to go down and go through it so this is just another one this is looking at the that same cadillac this is the bcm part of it looking at the run crank relay command and seeing whether it goes active or inactive and being able to go through all of that so let's see what else did i put in here right rear this is right so cursor draw stuff so this is a ford f-150 so the shop had already looked at this and knew that they had some type of draw, but they weren't sure what was going on with it. Well, somebody had pulled the bulb out of the dash for the door, so you weren't seeing that the door was open. But just looking at BCM data PIDs, right rear door shows ajar, and the others show closed. The right rear door was closed. The vehicle thinks it's a jar. So obviously, the vehicle's not going to go to sleep. I didn't have to do any other testing there. I didn't even do a parasitic draw test on it. I looked at the BCM pits first to see what I could find and realized, okay, well, it obviously thinks the door is open. And then I went and opened the rest of the doors and saw that the light didn't come on because somebody had pulled the light out of the dash. So with newer Fords, one of the things that I've run, some of you may have seen that I put a Facebook video up. I got my butt kicked on a parasitic draw where the shifter button was stuck down. I think it was in a Ford Fusion that it did it. Most of those switches in Fords now will keep the BCM awake. So you'll trace a parasitic draw back to the BCM and then not be able to figure out what circuit's keeping the BCM alive. The answer is going to be in the BCM data. The cruise control switches, I've seen those get stuck and keep a car alive. And you can go down and through your list and say, okay, all the cruise control switches, are they on or are they off? Well, if they're on and nothing's, being pushed then you know that it's stuck and then you can go and manipulate the switch and see if it changes so just be aware that you need to start using all of the different pids somebody had brought up Scan earlier a couple of people brought up scan. this is forescan and i put this in here specifically because people were talking about as built data vehicle door configuration you can see here shows four doors well If you're tracing a problem in maybe the rear, let's say, for example, maybe the rear doors don't lock and unlock, but the front doors lock and unlock, and the vehicle door configuration showed four doors instead of two doors, you could know that somebody had gone in and messed with it. So you also need to be able to go in and look at this information as well. One of the things in particular I've seen with this, normally this happens on emergency vehicles fire trucks, ambulances and stuff like that. People will go in and turn off TPMS. So the vehicle may have TPMS sensors, but somebody has gone in and disabled TPMS because it's got different tires on it, higher pressure tire or something like that. So they may realize that it has tire pressure sensors. That it gets sold to an individual years later a lot of times this happens with like fire truck brush trucks get sold to an individual years later and they want the TPMS system to work no amount of changing TPMS sensors is going to change it if it's disabled in the options here and this is kind of particular to Ford but it could happen with others but particularly with Ford if somebody's gone in and messed with the options you can go in and look at this data with certain tooling so with Forescan you can see this sometimes you can see it in other tools as well this is body control module configuration is where this is So you can see right here, tire pressure monitor shows enabled. It would show disabled if somebody had turned it off. So you have to be able to look at
1: all of that as well. I think that was, yeah, that was the last one I Kind of like one of the repercussions of some of them tools. The tools are awesome, but they're so affordable. They allow so many different people access to do stuff like that and make these crazy problems like you're saying they were in there messing around and shut off tpms how many shops would just they'd start shotgunning modules at until they accidentally fixed it that's exactly it yeah
0: so it's the long story short of that is be aware that there's data in every single module on the vehicle and there's a reason that that data is there it's there for you to use I think for years and years and years, we've got stuck on the drivability data and looking in PCM data and not really thought through that there's so many other modules on the car and to kind of circle back all the way to the thing I brought up earlier about a good friend of Matt Meyer, yeah, a good friend of Matt's and mine reached out and was asking about why some of the scan tool companies have done less with graphing now and done less with refresh rate and stuff. And I think the answer to that is that it's getting so sophisticated with other modules on the vehicles and having to gain access to all of these other modules and have the data PIDs and be able to read the data PIDs and go in and look at the settings that have been changed that all the scan tool companies are kind of making a decision of what they're going to go after and they're going after that or coding capabilities instead of graphing capabilities. But you got to have a tool that you have multiple tools so that you have graphing capabilities for drivability stuff but you also have the ability to get in and see all the rest of this information that's there for
1: you chuck and miles are wondering how well you like the mala software yep so that was a tool that i helped with beta testing
0: prototype testing there's a lot of work being done with it now they're kind of they're a perfect example of what i just brought up so They're trying to make decision of which way they're going to go. Are they going to go towards full-function scan tool, or are they going to go towards graphing, or are they going to go towards the fact that it scans a vehicle in like 15 seconds? Right now, for system scanning vehicles, it's awesome. It scans an entire vehicle in like 15 seconds. Graphing is pretty good on it, and I think graphing is going to get better. That seemed to be kind of the decision of where they're going to head with it. It's not going to have functions like the Autel. It's not going to have any security functions, anything like that. But for a tool to look at data and graph stuff, it works pretty good. Uh, You can make a CSV file from it, so that works good as well. Uh, I think it's $250 a year now. It works with any J2534 device. So it's definitely worth it just to have as another tool. There's, It does some neat stuff. I'm not going to, there's a bug in the software right now that it's actually turned out to be a really cool uh, thing for Crankshaft Variation Learn. I'm not going to expose that. Go ahead and play with it and you guys can figure that out on your own. But yeah, so overall for 250 bucks a year, can't go wrong with it knowing that it works with an AJ2534 interface. Keith's been playing with it too. I use it tons for scanning vehicles and screenshotting. The amount of screenshots, well, all the screenshots you saw in here are because I can scan a vehicle, look at data, screenshot it, and put it into a class. It's much easier for me. And putting it on invoices, as I'm writing an invoice, I don't have to go on to my Autel and take the screenshot from my Autel, try to log into my, I use Shopware, so log into my Shopware account on my Autel, find the file in the Autel. Sometimes it's easier with a PC-based tool, and that's why a lot of
1: times I end up using it. Thomas is wondering, or Tom, Mr. Pitbull, Explain the advantage of just choosing the PIDs you need. Knee jerk, first of all, the fewer things you can try to look at at one time, the better. Just in general, if you're trying to look at stuff live. Second of all, it gets into, I think, like generations of vehicles. So I think earlier on, when we kind of went from data just being blasted at the scan tool all the time to, I think what they called like ask, listen, where the scan tool would ask for information, it would report it back you were rewarded for reducing the number of PIDs so that you drastically increased the update rate. Now with like the latest generation of cars and CAN systems and scan tools taking advantage of that, I don't know that that's as big of a concern anymore. It's more or less just overwhelming yourself with information to try to process. And that's where you may want to take advantage of recording or movies, if you will, and then, you know, sitting back in a comfy chair and Flipping through the data on a big screen, you know, monitor or television, whatever you got. One of the things I'm going to add to that, since I think he was looking at like asking kind of
0: changing speed of the data refresh rate. And like Matt was saying, it's less of an issue now. If you have a scan tool that you have problems with refresh rate, namely a lot of the like earlier Autels, plug your device into the tool hardwire. So if you use Autel and like, for example, board cylinder contribution test with the older Autels when it was not plugged in was atrociously slow if you plugged it in USB lightning fast and it made a massive difference so hardware the tool also now with the new Autels in specific and I'm sure other tools too you have the ability to choose Bluetooth or choose Wi-Fi. And if you choose Wi-Fi, the tool is faster than if you choose Bluetooth. Somebody wants an explanation for that. That's a Keith question. The super short answer is, is that Bluetooth is not lossless in what it transmits and Wi-Fi is a lossless transmission. Super short answer. All the ones and zeros, when you throw them, they stick to the other side with Wi-Fi. With Bluetooth, when you throw it, some of them are slippery
1: and fall away. Well, all right, guys. I think we better start winding this down. Yeah. Carm yeah. fell asleep. Tracy looks asleep. He's going <laughs> to take his out with a song with one <laughs> of his guitars. <laughs> yeah, right? You know
0: any riffs? They're fake. What current <laughs> aftermarket is hand <laughs> tools permit wireless and also hardwired to the VCI? Pretty much anything. Oh, yeah, anything- If it's wireless, it does both. Yeah. it's. We'll just have a cable that goes to it. If you have an autel... I don't really know the reason behind this. I've asked and I guess I don't really have like a I've never gotten a definite answer. It comes with a USB cable and it specifically says only use that USB cable. So if you have a USB cable and it says only use that USB cable, don't use any other one just in case. Other ones don't fit in the hole and I, some of them break off inside of it. <laughs> but it's square it back. Sounds like around, experience around the speaking hole. there. <laughs> yeah. I asked the same question afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they say that when we got them, they say literally it's the VCI the 2.0, 2.0 cable only. Yeah, there's like and a sticker that came on it. And the yeah. red one from the previous generation was a little bit larger. And when you plugged it in, sometimes you went to go pull the cable out and then the end would stay in it and it would pull the cable out. And then you're stuck with the red end stuck inside your tool. So there you go. Yeah, Isaac said the same thing. It's the size of the cable end. Yep. Perfect. The cable itself is all the same, but it's, you've put the old, it meant in contrast to the old cable they had. Perfect. Good answer. But yeah, you can plug in all of them. Some, it just depends on, look at what is at the end of it. Some of them are USB-C now, some of them are micro USB. Look and see what it is and get yourself a cable, whatever cable you need to. It'll be whatever end is on that to USB on the tool. Or I say most of them are USB at this point. By the time somebody watches us a year from now, they'll all be USB C or something. Right? Yeah. All right. Have, uh, well, Robert Kenny's point there that maybe we should start a Facebook page or a DN section where we can list the known scan tool functions of each each tools we use them. Kind of like a oh, waveform I, library. I'd list the known not functioning is what I would. Put. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> yeah. might be that might be <laughs> even better. What can it do? So <laughs> save, the, save me way more time. The hard part about that is that. Tomorrow there's going to be okay, an update and, and yep, what yeah, it does yep. and doesn't do and so so that's how we force the weird. updates though yeah this, this is true <laughs> just call them out publicly
1: yeah All right. Cool. thank you everyone for joining us really really appreciate it thank you guys for joining me especially you Rich I know it's way past my bedtime <laughs> <laughs> I'm old I we know Grandpa <laughs> <laughs> this has been a blast uh, thank you everyone for not just joining but the questions that was terrific yeah that was awesome uh, just over an hour of Q&A. That was unbelievable. I can't thank you guys enough. We're doing right. it again tomorrow, so. All right. Part
0: two. <laughs> You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.